0: The only requirement for membership in Al-Anon is that there be problem of alcoholism in a family or friend. How many other groups that you know of are so inclusive, and how does this help you? And how is it a challenge for you? Welcome to episode 315 of the Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Sita, Jennifer, Susan, Joy, and Chris. They used the donation button on our website. Thank you, Sital jennifer susan joy and chris for your generous contributions this episode is for you we are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness we who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can so much depends on our own attitudes and we believe the changed attitudes can aid recovery Before we begin, we would like to state that in this show we represent ourselves rather than any 12-step program. During this show, we will share our own experiences. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer, and I am your host today. Let's start with a reading from our daily reader, Courage to Change. This is July 4th. Tradition 3 reminds me of two aspects of Al-Anon that I cherish. First, I know that I can go to a meeting anywhere in the world and expect to find no other affiliation promoted by the group. The members will not try to sell me a religion, a treatment program, a therapy, a political platform, or anything else. Should any individual in the fellowship discuss any of these with me, I am free to take what I like and leave the rest. Second, I know that I meet the sole requirement for membership in Al-Anon. I have encountered a problem of alcoholism in a relative or friend. I do not have to dress, act, feel, speak, or work a certain way to belong. I do not have to believe or disbelieve. I am free to be myself. This is a come-as-you-are program. So today is MLK Day as it's commonly known, which is the holiday that celebrates the birthday of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who worked hard for civil rights in this country in the 1960s. And perhaps naturally, my thoughts turn to this ideas of inclusion and diversity and belonging. And from there to how, how simultaneously inclusive and diverse the memberships of the Alanon program is and how despite that, I feel a strong sense of belonging. And this comes in part from our third tradition, which says the only requirement for membership is that there be a problem of alcoholism in a relative or friend. The only requirement for membership. And, you know, Al-Anon developed our traditions from Alcoholics Anonymous, which has 12 similar traditions The AA version of this third tradition says the only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. And I understand that early in the history of AA, before the traditions had been developed, there was controversy about whether certain people, certain kinds of people, people who looked a certain way, people who acted a certain way, people who dressed a certain way, should be allowed to to attend uh, an AA meeting. And I believe I read a story about an African-American person who wanted to attend an AA meeting and was told that he could attend, but he couldn't sit in the room with everybody else. This was back in the 1930s, I believe. And Bill W. One of the founders of AA at some point stated very clearly that everybody is welcome because our only goal, our only mission is to stay sober and help other alcoholics get sober. And so we inherited that same singleness of purpose and inclusivity in the Al Anon program. Because certainly the disease of alcoholism, of addiction, is no respecter of social standing, of education, of wealth, of any of the ways in which we, in our society, group ourselves. And so it makes sense that in these programs where we seek to recover from the effects of alcoholism, whether it's the effects of our own drinking or the effects of somebody else's drinking. It makes a lot of sense that we parallel that lack of distinction and that anybody who is affected needs the recovery and is qualified to be a member, to attend these meetings, to participate in our programs. Just makes a lot of sense. Now, when I first came to Al-Anon, I had no idea of this tradition. I had no idea, but what I did know was nobody told me I couldn't be there. Nobody told me I had the wrong kind of alcoholic. Nobody told me I didn't qualify. They said, Welcome. They said, Keep coming back. They said, Here's a phone number. Call me. At the end of my very first Al Anon meeting, I knew. That I was no longer alone. And while I think it took me longer than that to feel that I really belonged as a member of Al Anon, I definitely felt welcomed and included in that first meeting. And that was important because I think if I hadn't felt that way, I might not have come back. And I might have missed out on the recovery that I really, really needed. And that has changed my life in so many ways. So many good ways, I should say. I wouldn't be here talking to you, right? Yeah. One of the meetings that I attended regularly for several years had a tradition, if you will, of holding a beginner's meeting after the regular meeting so the regular meeting ran from 7:30 to 8:30 and from 8:30 to 9 a member of the group who had been there for at least a little while and had some understanding of the program would set up a little circle of chairs in a corner and invite anybody who felt new anybody who it was their first meeting their second meeting whatever who had questions who wanted to learn more about elanon who wasn't sure they were in the right place to come sit in that circle and, and talk, ask questions, and learn more about the al program. That was one of the bits of service that I did for that meeting, was to chair the beginner's meeting from time to time. Maybe once a year or something like that for a month. And not infrequently. Frequently. Hmm. Somewhere in between, not infrequently and frequently, there would be a person in the circle who would say, I don't know if I'm in the right place. I don't think I have any alcoholics in my family. I don't know of any. But what I heard here tonight, I really identified with a lot of the feelings. I really identified with a lot of what people were saying but i don't i can't point to an alcoholic and say well here's why I, here's here's my my qualification for being here and when that question comes up i would usually simply say if that's your experience then you're welcome here you can decide in your own time whether you feel you belong here and i refer to the reading about Tradition 3 in our book, How al Works. I'm looking at the hardcover edition, and it's on page 112, but I think it's different in the paperback. This is in Chapter 16. It says, It is not always easy for newcomers to know whether or not they belong. Many of us had to overcome years of denial before we even suspected that alcoholism existed in our families. All we knew at first was that we identified strongly with the feelings we heard expressed in meetings and that we felt at home. Had anyone demanded that we justify our participation in an Al-Anon group, we probably couldn't have done so. Fortunately, it is left to us to decide for ourselves in our own time whether or not we are qualified for membership. Thus, even if they feel uncertain about whether or not they are in the right place, newcomers are always welcome at Al-Anon that's such a radical idea. We get to decide in our own time whether we belong. Nobody's going to say, you don't belong here, go away. How often can you say that you've experienced that in other parts of your life? really is amazing. So if anybody's welcome, that means when I come in, To a meeting, there's going to be all sorts of people sitting around the circle, sitting around the table, sitting in the chairs, whatever the physical layout of your particular meeting is. Some of those are going to be people who are sort of like me. Some of those are going to be people who are not at all like me. Some of those are going to be people who have a very different life experience, who have very different beliefs. Than I do. And I can say from what is it now? Not quite 18 years of attending Al-Anon meetings. And in those 18 years, going at least once a week. So by the math, that's over well over a thousand meetings. That while I might look at somebody, hear somebody speak and say, ah, uh, that person's so different i have nothing to learn from them that's not true that has not been true i have learned from the experiences from the sharings of people who are dramatically different from me because our experiences our inner feelings are not so different you know and and it helps me when we're sharing so openly and honestly as as we do in meetings, it helps me to see past those outward differences. In a meeting, there may be somebody who grates on me in some way. Maybe their voices annoys me. Maybe they seem to always say the same thing when they share. Maybe they use you know too many times but what i know is that i learn from those people too that if i put those differences aside and listen open my my heart and my mind and listen i will hear something that i need to hear so the tradition of inclusion gives me that opportunity to broaden my experience. It gives me that opportunity to hear from people whose stories might be different from mine, but whose feelings are not. And to hear their moments of revelation, their understanding of the way in which they might live with their situation, their tools that they have used in their situation that might be similar to mine and that tools that I could pick up and use or something that happened to them, something they did that just shakes loose in me a recognition of how I might have acted that I hadn't recognized and that is important for me to you know, continue in my path to recovery to full, ha-ha, full never happening, but always getting better, always progressing, recovery. I am reminded to listen for the similarities rather than focusing on the differences. You know, I'm a aging white male, but I can hear my story from a young woman of color And I can get insight and I can learn from the similarities in our stories, from the similarities in our experiences, from the similarities in our feelings, just as easily, sometimes perhaps more easily, than I can do the same from somebody who looks and sounds like me. And I know that I belong because of that because when i share somebody else might say oh yeah and when they share i say oh yeah and we have that that common that common bond that common understanding that bridges our differences that enriches our lives that enriches our recovery going back to that that person who might grate on me a little I heard an expression in a, in a talk, a person who was speaking said, you know, that person, that person in your meeting, that when they open their mouth, you're like, oh God, do we have to? She said, those people are my spiritual sandpaper. They help to rub off my rough edges. I love that expression. I have to remember that. The next time, I'm like, oh, here we go with this person you know that person is my spiritual sandpaper and when i can bring that to mind i can listen with intent listen with more acceptance and love many of our meetings use the suggested Al closing which is printed in our book how alan works chapter 44 it says in one paragraph we aren't perfect The welcome we give you may not show the warmth we have in our hearts for you. After a while, you'll discover that though you may not like all of us, you'll love us in a very special way, the same way we already love you. And I think that just really expresses and emphasizes the spirit of inclusion and belonging that is such a fundamental part of the Al-Anon program. So Tanya wrote and sent... A music playlist, she writes, Hi, Spencer. One of the many wonderful things this program and your podcast have given me is a return to my love of music. As a holiday gift to you and your listeners, I'm sharing my playlist of recovery songs that bring me serenity and joy every day. I hope that you'll find something here that speaks to you as well. I did, Tanya. Thank you for sending it. And I apologize for sort of sitting on that email for a while. She did send it before the Christmas holiday. I just hadn't pulled it out, but here it is, and I picked three songs from her playlist for this episode. I will put a link to the entire playlist in the show notes at therecovery.show slash 315. The first song that I picked is titled I'll Be There. It's by Jess Glynn. To me, the title speaks to actually the, the Al-Anon Declaration, which some meetings close with, which, if I can remember it, says... Let it begin with me. When anyone, anywhere reaches out for help, let the hand of Alanon and Alatine be there and let it begin with me. Something like that. Anyway, so I'll be there. You know, when, I mean, when I needed help, Alanon was there for me. Alanon will be there for you when you need help. Alanon is there for me when I still, when I need help. So lyrics here. When all the tears are rolling down your face and it feels like yours was the only heart to break, when you come back home and all the lights are out and you're getting used to no one else being around, oh, oh, I'll be there. When you need a little love, I got a little love to share. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna come through. You'll never be alone. I'll be there for you. this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery. How have we experienced recovery in this week? Yesterday, we read from the book Courage to Change, the reading for January 19th, which talks about how I used to be hard on myself and how Al-Anon has helped me to do that less and to be gentle with myself. And I reflected back on the week still having interpersonal issues in my team at work. I believe that things are are getting better, but we're still not, as I said to one of my colleagues, one big happy family. Although maybe that's not the right expression. Now I think of the Ramones family, the Ramones song, One Happy Family. We're a happy family, right? They're not a happy family, but I digress. We're not back to where I would like us to be. And I'm having to accept that we might never get there. But in any case, every other week meeting with my boss and he said, so how is the situation and what are you doing about it? For the first part, I said, well, I think it's getting better. This happened and this happened. And that seems to be some evidence that it's getting better. But what am I doing about it? I think he asked me that again because I just kind of skipped that part of the question, right? I said, well, I'm trying to model better behavior. I'm trying to encourage people to work together. But I was feeling like I have no freaking idea what I'm doing to help this situation. (laughs) You know, like, not my job. This is not what I signed up for. And it, you know, it is apparently part of my role as a leader, to help to resolve these these situations. So I was kicking myself, as a friend of mine says, you know, my butt-kicking machine went into high gear. But it's really not my job, so the program tells me. And so, actually, my minister told us on Sunday, it is not within our ability to change the way other people act, and particularly not to change the way other people feel. And I know that. So why am I kicking myself? Because I can't make people feel the way that I want them to feel. You know what I mean? So I was really happy to have that reading last night. To tell me, number one, you're too hard on yourself. And number two, be gentle and understand what is actually within your capability. Like, yeah, I really needed to hear that. You know how that happens sometimes. Pretty amazing. The day before, well, Friday night into Saturday morning, it it snowed a bit. I think maybe about six inches. Somewhere between four and six inches. Which, you know, is not a whole lot. Except, so I get up Saturday morning and I look out and it's still snowing. I'm like, good, I have some time to get out there and, and clear the snow. And then I hear this sort of pitter-patter noise, I don't know, on the gutter or something, and I realize that the snow is turning into rain, which had been forecast. It's going to be snow followed by freezing rain. Just perfect, perfect, just saying. Um, I don't know if you live in a part of the country where that happens, or part of the world where that happens, but what happens is you get the snow, and then it rains on it, and it gets really thick and wet and hard to move and hard to clear and Then, by the end of the next night, the temperature was going to be down into the teens Fahrenheit, which is I don't know let's we'll go with like minus ten Celsius, okay, so it's going to freeze, and so now you got this cold, wet, heavy snow that freezes, and so it makes a really nice crust or just ice, depending. You know, maybe it's been packed down a little bit, and so it turns into a nice thick sheet of ice. So I knew I had to get out there and, and, and clear it, which I did. I think I pushed myself a little too hard by the time I came in. My fingers were really cold and in pain. The dog came over to try to get reassurance that I still loved him because I had left him for like an hour, you know, while I was outside clearing stuff. And I just screamed at him. I said, get away from me. I cannot deal with you right now. I'm in too much pain. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired, in pain? Where's where's pain in that acronym? Anyway, it was there. You know, 20 minutes later, after my fingers had warmed up and were no longer screaming at me, I was able to cuddle the, the poor pup. And then later in the day, after it had snowed a little more and rained a little more, and before it really got cold, I was able to go out and and push another thin layer of snow off of the driveway and the sidewalk so that it didn't turn into ice because I don't like walking on ice and I don't want to have other people walking on ice in front of my house and and maybe falling down and then you know wanting to sue me or something or or getting hurt I mean I don't want people to get hurt okay so anyway that was all about accepting what is and doing the next right thing First things first. First thing was get out there and clear the snow. In consequence, I did not make it to my Saturday morning meeting because by the time it got around to the meeting time, I had just gotten back inside recently. I was exhausted and cold and tired and cranky. So I didn't go to my meeting, and I think that was the right decision. Anyway, so there's a couple, couple of places in my week where I used my recovery tools or where my recovery tools maybe could have been a little more available to me and I figured it out later. Alina continues to share on the episodes she's listening to. And this week she has shared about juggling versus balance, which was episode 37 self-care episode 39 and vulnerability episode 41.
1: Hi, this is Alina. I just wanted to share on episode 37 on juggling versus balancing. This was something that I could relate to. I'm always constantly like trying to like figure out how to balance things out. And I do feel like I'm juggling a lot of the time. I guess some of the things I try and balance are, you know, meeting with my sponsor, making it to meetings, doing my step work, meditating, just making time for all of it. And then also not really being so consumed by it that it's causing me to like put all my time and effort into that, which I know my recovery comes first, but sometimes I know for me that if I focus super hard on everything all at once, I'm not really living in the moment and enjoying one particular aspect of my recoveries, which would be like, you know, being there in the moment for meetings, listening to these podcasts and people sharing, reaching out to my sponsor, talking to Alan on friends, you know, making time and quiet time mostly for my step work, you know, answering these questions, doing my readings, you know, doing my journal. Um, It's just so much to like keep track of service work. I've been kind of slacking on that you know, and that's just something I need to work on. Part of me, I don't know. I feel like it would give me anxiety because I don't know if I can like completely devote my time a hundred percent to that. I just want to, you know, I know I've done service work in the past and, you know, it's spoke to me like at the right moment, but right now I just don't feel like it's like in the cards for me right now. And I don't know if that's going to hurt me in the end, but I know that I'm doing, you know, what, I feel like I can do at this moment without causing too much frustration, but you know, there is a lot to be said about balance and you know, I definitely don't want to cause any, you know, anxiety on my part because then I'll just, it won't be positive work. It won't be, you know, good. I don't think, um, cause I've seen myself go through that where I feel like I'm overwhelmed and, you know, it affects me. So, um, I really enjoy the topic. I always talk to my sponsor about, you know, balance and, and this and that. And I know for me, it's just hard to do everything and devote equal amounts of time to everything. I feel like, you know, I'll be really good at journaling and meetings and questions. And then I'm falling short on other things like reading or communicating with my sponsor, being more open with her. So I guess it's just something I just need to work on and, you know, continue to work on. It's never gonna be a hundred percent. It's never gonna be perfect. But at least I can acknowledge it and recognize it and move on. So thank you for the topic. I wanted to share on episode thirty nine on self-care. This is actually a really good topic because I was thinking the other day that I was talking about a period in my life where I raised foster kittens and had time for that, like foster animals. And you know, granted that was probably probably what, 10 to 15 years ago. And so I was thinking about that recently, about getting into it again. And I was talking to my husband about it and He's like, well, yeah, you know, if you just have, you know, if you have the time, I'm all for it. And then I started thinking about it and I was like, man, I had so much time back then. And I think it was because like my self-care was like on the back burner and I didn't have Alan on at that time. I don't necessarily think I was unhappy or struggling, but I just didn't know or recognize what self-care was even growing up. Like I always felt like... I was constantly taking care of my little sister and my mom was a single mom and she worked and I took on that role. And I just, you know, didn't realize the effects that it had on me until I came into the program. And then I realized, you know, why some of my character defects, you know, come up from time to time, you know, everything has to be perfect and I have to be organized and I can't be wrong. And, you know, I can't disappoint anybody. I have to like, not say no. And all that stuff, like, gosh, it's so crazy. Like how it all comes to play. And I don't know, like I felt it's hard for me to say if my emotions were disrupted back then, cause I don't really remember, you know, was I frustrated from time to time? Was I, you know, I can definitely say that when I was in certain situations, I was uncomfortable and I really didn't want to be there but I got over it. But now that I look back on it, I have so much going on in my life right now, as far as, you know, my recovery and meeting with my sponsor and step work and meetings. And I listen to the podcast and I'm working and I'm working out and, you know, there's just a lot there and I just want rest sometimes, you know? And so the self-care, it's kind of, uh, kind of a good topic. Cause at the same time, you know, I, I know that when I'm getting frustrated or anxious or something's going on, I have to like check myself and I have to realize, you know, why am I feeling this way? What is lacking? What am I not paying attention to? Or, you know, what am I doing? And I know I'm not going to be perfect a hundred percent of the time, but um, if I focus on self-care, I know that I'm in a good place and I have my serenity and everything. So Anyways, I really like the topic and I appreciate your shares. Thank you. I just wanted to share on episode 41 on vulnerability. I like the topic. I think that it's always it's always been hard for me to let my guard down and being vulnerable and shy and I could relate to some of the examples that was given in the beginning about like asking for a raise and you know telling someone you love them for the first time and I think for the raise part, you know, there's a fear of rejection. And I guess that's maybe what I relate being vulnerable to is like that fear of rejection. You know, I am a child of an alcoholic and I didn't really know I had, and that's not what brought me into the rooms of Al-Anon to begin with. Um, That had to do with my qualifier. But, you know, after hearing shares and readings and realizing that being a child of an alcoholic did have its effects on me. And it kind of like the personality traits and stuff and what we deal with kind of was like, wow, you know, that is me to a T trying to be perfect and not wanting to disappoint and always saying yes. And everything has to be a certain way. So I really like this topic of being vulnerable. I guess trust is another thing that I heard in the podcast, it seems like my self esteem. I never really worried about it too much when I was younger, but I guess after dealing with this, with stuff with my qualifier and learning what it feels like to trust somebody and then have it like crushed several times over and over again and living on someone's promises and hoping for a good ending or good things or good memories. And it's just really hard. So there's been times when I've been let down and I get so angry because I know it's going to affect my self-esteem. And, you know, I try to try to do other things like self-care to work on that and my confidence. And so, you know, having that workout, meditating in the morning, um, doing my readings you know, opening up more to my sponsor, which was really, really hard because I think that I was just so worried that she was going to be critical and judge me. And, um, at the moment, I didn't think of the word judging. I just felt like, Oh, she's going to be like critical and I'm going to annoy her. And she's just going to be so frustrated with me and my feelings. And, but she's been really, really, really good. And I think that's what drew, drew me to her in the first place to ask her to be my sponsor is she just seems so positive and uplifting and, you know, encourages me and, you know, never makes me feel like I'm less than or that I should be doing more. She's always reminding me, like, not to say that, you know, I should be this, I should be that I should try harder, you know? And so it's just nice. It's a good feeling. and. I think recently I've been more vulnerable with her and it is a good feeling. I feel like she's straight with me without being hurtful or aggressive. And so I really like this topic. I think it's important and I know it's something I'm going to struggle with as far as, you know, with my qualifier, just trying to be vulnerable, trying to like trust and be open and honest um, on my feelings and not feel like, you know, because they don't agree with me or because they, you know, talk negatively about my feelings that they're right and I'm wrong. And then it's not about that. It's more about just expressing yourself and I don't know, being confident with yourself and loving yourself. So anyways, thank you for letting me share.
0: Thank you, Alina, for your sharing. And Krista sent us a share about using the program in the workplace, and that was episode 30.
2: Hi, everyone. My name is Krista from Nevada. I just wanted to share about Program in the Workplace. The one tool that has been the most helpful for me is praying for my coworkers. For some reason, praying for them helps me to see them in a different light. It helps me to have more compassion, and it also allows me to remember to stay on my side of the street because sometimes when I disagree with people and I'm very passionate about the ideas, I can come off as pretty aggressive and that's not real helpful in a work environment or really many environments. So anyway, that one works a lot. My current sponsor uh, once told me years ago that if I couldn't keep my mouth shut, then I needed to hold water in my mouth because I wouldn't be able to speak when I'm holding something in my mouth. And so that's another tool I use when things are pretty dire and I know that I'm probably going to get myself into trouble if I say something because it won't come out very nicely. And so when I know that the situation is, like I said, pretty dire or serious or I'm pretty fired up about something, but I have to go to a meeting or some other such thing. Then that's what I'll usually try to do. So thanks for letting me share. Everyone have a great day.
0: I really appreciate it that you are participating in our conversation, bringing in your own experience, your own perspective. Thanks. I want to say thank you to those of you who have sent in shares about men in Al-Anon as was a, a, Suggested topic, I think I'm pretty close to being able to pull the trigger on that episode. So if you were thinking about contributing as a man in Al Anon or as somebody who does not identify as a man but appreciates or doesn't the presence of men in meetings, um, how do they change the dynamic or not? Lots of lots of ways that could go. I don't want to put a box around it. So anyway, if you were thinking about sharing for that episode, the clock is ticking. I'm also also asking for shares from those of you who are, as I guess the official term in Al-Anon now is dual program members. In other words, you're in Al-Anon and another 12-step program. How does Al-Anon perhaps enhance your other program and vice versa? Do you struggle with not revealing your membership in another program? Or do you? And what kind of feedback do you get when that happens? Since I am not a dual program member, I cannot share my own experience there, so I am looking to you. And thanks if you have already sent in a share, which you can do by leaving a voicemail at 734-707-8795. You can use the voicemail button on the website to join the conversation directly from your computer. Or if you prefer not to use your voice, you can send email to feedback at therecovery.show. And actually, Alina and Krista have been sending email with a recording that they made using the voicemail application on their phone or something similar. So that's another way to share your voice. We would love to hear from you. Share your experience, strength, and hope or your questions about today's topic of belonging and inclusion or any of our upcoming topics. And our website is therecovery.show. It has all the information about the show. There's notes for each episode, and you can get to any episode if you know its number by going to therecovery.show slash number. So, you know, episode 30, program in the workplace, therecovery.show slash 30. Also, post videos for the music that we talk about and notes for each episode. So check it out, therecovery.show, and if you're sending a friend to The Recovery Show, just send them to the website, therecovery.show. Have I said that enough times yet? Our second musical selection, also from Tanya's playlist, is We Belong by Pat Benatar. Got the word belong in it, I had to pick it, right? The chorus, we belong to the light, we belong to the thunder, we belong to the sounds of the words we've both fallen under. Whether we deny or embrace for worse or for better, we belong, we belong, we belong together. Got some email this week. To start out, actually, Carrie left a comment on the website on episode 293, which is titled Lynn Grief Can Be a Wonderful Thing. I'm listening to this podcast on day three of my new job. Divorced mother of three, ages 21, 18, and 14. Everything she's saying is my story. Small town, overachiever, career mom with alcoholic ex-husbands, raising kids, dealing with coworkers, and on and on. I was overly anxious and negative last night about my new career move. Selfish pity party. Then I woke up to news my dad is in the hospital. My higher power is sending me exactly what I need when I need it. I'm surrendering and actively being thankful and grateful for everything today thanks to this podcast. In the past, I would have cried, freaked out, and been totally distracted. I'm at work, I'm smiling, and I'm unbelievably thankful for this podcast. Thank you, Carrie, for for sharing that. And thanks again to Lynn for being a guest on that episode and sharing her experience, strength, and hope there. Lori writes, Spencer. I found The Recovery Show a few months ago and have been listening to the episodes. Today, on a rainy, miserable commute to work, I was listening to episode 19 on gratitude. As I turned to bend, there appeared a glorious rainbow. The rainbow followed me for the next 20 minutes as I finished my commute. It must have been my higher power sending me a message from the universe. Even in the drudgery of commuting to work, there is something magical to be grateful for. Thank you for the work you do. It's given me hope and a new attitude about dealing with my alcoholic. Thank you for writing, Lori, and thank you for sharing that experience with us. I always love it when there's a rainbow. And I don't usually get a rainbow for twenty minutes, so that's pretty amazing. Deborah writes, Spencer and Eric, thank you so very much for your wisdom, laughter, and solid Al Anon sharing that you provide. I just re-listened to episode two hundred and forty five on consequences. I'm currently going through another tsunami and trying so very hard to not only weather the tightly emotional storm, but also keep the right balance in loving my son and not enabling him or contributing to his disease. My son has relapsed in his alcoholism many times in the last 24 months after achieving almost seven years of sobriety. His most recent relapse is very severe, resulting in him isolating in his Los Angeles apartment, drinking nonstop with a consistent blood alcohol level of 0.4. That's pretty high. He has had a very successful career in the recovery profession and is surrounded by wonderful sober people who are trying to help him. Over the last three weeks, he has checked into eight or nine detox facilities, fully comped by his friends, professionals, only to check out of each one of them within hours, return to his apartment and drinking. 911 has been called multiple times, checked his vitals, and he declines transport. My brilliant, articulate, successful son is in an alcoholic death spiral. So very sad and painful for him and devastating for me. He is my only child, and I raised him alone as his father died an alcohol-related death when our son was seven. Initially, his relapse triggered me to spin out of control hiring sober coaches, sending my son back to his third time at Betty Ford, contacting recovery professionals. The crazy list goes on. We even did an intervention at the end of the third week. My part was to say, I love you. This is your last chance to receive help from me and your support group. I will not take your calls or talk to you while when you are drinking until you have detoxed and completed an intensive 90-day program. Then I will be there for you. He sobbed and said yes, he is ready and knows he must detox and get help. A recovery friend stayed with him until he was picked up by the transporters. Sad to say, he was not ready, and after a two-hour drive, he checked in and promptly checked out of his eighth detox facility. Everyone is now pulled away. I am in that painful place of a mother whose adult child is self-destructing and know that I can do nothing to ease his pain. I am attending two meetings a day. Surrounding myself with Alanon friends, your podcasts, and all of my readings. I now await the miracle of my son experiencing his natural consequences and reaching his bottom. I pray that he is still alive when that miracle arri- arrives to live the amazing life that is possible for him. The consequences of my initial behavior attempting to be God were to be horribly anxious, sleepless, and living in fear. Thank God for Alanon. I had a significant slip when my son relapsed. I threw my program out the window and dove right in trying to control and being my son's higher power. I am now back on track with my program, taking care of myself and detaching from my son's disease. I know that my best hope is as likely to occur as my worst fear. I'm focusing on hope. I trust my higher power, and I trust that my son has one as well. I heard in a meeting recently that only higher powers can talk to each other and that can only occur when we stop playing God. As terrifying as it is for me, I am officially out of the way. My son deserves the dignity and respect for me to let go, and I deserve to have a beautiful, serene life. I cannot allow another's behavior to determine my happiness. Thank you again for all the service you both do. Deborah C. in Florida Well, my heart goes out to you, Deborah. I don't know what I'm Really, my heart goes out to you, and my prayers for your son, as you say, to, to find his way to his bottom before it's too late. Thank you for writing. Sital wrote, Thank you for this wonderful podcast. It has changed my life in ways so deep that words cannot express. Thank you for that. Thank you for that expression of gratitude. It means a lot to me. Lynn writes, Spencer, I'm listening to episode 306. I love listening to your podcast. I'm not sure how I found you, but they have really helped me. I haven't found an Al Anon meeting I can get to reliably. I do have a sponsor and I'm working the steps. Listening to the podcast has so helped me to learn the principles of the program. Thank you, Lynn. And thanks for writing, Lynn. It's always helpful to me to, you know, get me to the next episode to know that people are getting value from what I do here. So thank you. The last song that I took from Tanya's list, and it's a long playlist. There's there's a lot of a lot of songs there that I will I will dig into for future episodes, you can believe it. This is the song's called Higher Love. It's by Steve Winwood. So I picked this, this this for me, this echoes those words that we close so many of our meetings with about that very special kind of love that we have for each other in the program some lyrics here think about it there must be higher love down in the heart or hidden in the stars above without it life is wasted time look inside your heart I'll look inside mine things look so bad everywhere in this whole world what is fair we walk blind and we try to see falling behind in what could be Bring me a higher love. Bring me a higher love. Where's that higher love I keep thinking of? Well, try an Al-Anon meeting. (laughs) Thank you for listening and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace grow in you one day at a time.